You're listening to an audio resource from Vineyard Church of the Rockies in Fort Collins, Colorado. We are joining God's mission, transforming all things, and you're invited. To learn more about us and how you can connect, please visit votr.church. That will happen shortly, but we are kicking off a new series. It's called Kingdom Justice. Four weeks, as Corey mentioned. Really excited about this series. But the tricky part in launching a new series called Kingdom Justice is that justice, that word justice, or the idea around justice, it's a really interesting word in our culture right now. It's been co-opted or hijacked by all kinds of different people, from politicians to Instagram influencers and and really even big-time Hollywood stars and producers. And so we are forced to ask ourselves in the church and as students of God's Word, who gets to define the word justice? Who gets to define that word? It's my job to help you understand what justice looks like in the kingdom of God. Biblical justice. Justice with a theological foundation, not social justice or criminal justice or even one of our favorites, vigilante justice, where we take justice into our own hands and we execute righteousness as we see best. If you don't think vigilante justice is popular, just remember with me how many people loved Batman, The Dark Knight. We loved that because finally someone was going to take care of the injustice in the streets or the 1999 cult classic, The Boondock Saints. If you remember this, they actually prayed, thy kingdom come, thy will be done before they took justice into their own hands. This was such a popular film in the late 90s, but kingdom justice is so different than anything that this world has to offer. It's about joining God and being a force for good in the world around us. And it's about doing it God's way and with God's heart. And so in the coming weeks, we're going to explore the scriptures. In particular, we're going to look at three types of people that the word of God tells us that it's important for us to love and important for us to demonstrate justice to. We're going to look at the enemy, we're going to look at the vulnerable, and we're going to look at the stranger among us. These are all people groups that the Word of God tells us to love and to demonstrate justice to. But today, on this Sunday, instead of looking at one particular type of person, I'm going to give you a broad understanding of what biblical justice looks like. We're going to kind of create a wider landscape so that we all know what we're talking about. And just a quick side note for you, throughout this series, I'm going to be recommending books that have been hugely influential for me, books that have helped me understand kingdom justice according to a theological point of view. I'll reference those throughout the week. Today in my sermon notes, I put a six-minute video. Everybody can watch a six-minute video, and I would highly recommend it. It's by our friends at the Bible Project, and they give you a broad landscape of what kingdom justice looks like. Again, in my sermon notes at votrweekly.org, highly, highly recommend watching that video. But for us, as we share space this morning, I want to start by reading maybe the most famous passage about justice that's found in the Old Testament. Maybe. It's from Micah chapter 6, verse 8. It says, what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, your translation might say mercy, and to walk humbly with your God? 
You can see why this is such a popular verse. It's a beautiful verse, but it's also succinct and direct to the point. And honestly, it helps a lot of us ask and answer the question that many of us require of God and ask God and seek God for. How do we live our lives? God, what do you want me to do and what do you want me to be about? This is a question many of us have, and at least a big chunk of that question is answered in Micah 6, 8. To love and do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. If you want a prayer to memorize, this would be a great place to start. If you want a prayer to pray over your life or over our church, you can join me in this prayer. Lord, help me and help us to be a church that does justice. It doesn't just talk about justice, but we do justice. We love mercy and we walk humbly before our God. But it's kind of a weird phrase if you look at it. If you think about the words chosen in that phrase. I mean, Micah put these words together on purpose. But any quick look at our culture or the 21st century American view of justice, and I think we would all agree that those aren't necessarily the words that we would combine together in one sentence. If we're doing justice, we probably don't include words like mercy and humility. Our view of justice usually uh, requires kind of evening the scales. It usually includes defending the victim by punishing the perpetrator. And oftentimes it includes loud megaphones or parades and letters to politicians, influencers on Instagram or TikTok raging with anger against the system. And in the most extreme cases, it can even include violence. But in the kingdom of God, everything is upside down. In the kingdom of God, doing justice means loving mercy and walking in humility. And the irony of all those words being united together means that if you join God in living out a life of justice, your actions may be overlooked by the culture around you. Because it doesn't look like the way that our culture is currently demonstrating justice. I mean, imagine how easy it would be to be overlooked if you walked in incredible humility and you loved mercy. This is what it means. This is what God tells us from the very beginning. To do justice, to love mercy, to walk humbly before our God. I want to share a few other verses as we kind of create this landscape of biblical and kingdom justice together. Just a few more passages that will help us understand what it means to do justice. If you look at Jeremiah 22, verse 3, this is a great one. It says, this is what the Lord says. Be fair-minded and just. Do what is right. Help those who have been robbed. Rescue them from their oppressors. Quit your evil deeds. Do not mistreat foreigners, orphans, or widows. Underline that phrase because it's used a lot in the Old Testament. And stop murdering the innocent. That's what God said to his people when he was teaching them what it looks like to do justice in the kingdom of God. It looks a lot more like rescuing the oppressed than it does punishing the wicked. Did you catch that? It looks a lot more like rescuing the people who have been hurt than executing aggression. One more uh, passage for us, Psalm 146, verses 7 to 9. God says, He gives justice to the oppressed and food to the hungry. The Lord frees the prisoners. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts those up who have been weighed down. The Lord loves the godly. 
The Lord protects the foreigners among us. He cares for the orphans and widows. There's that phrase again. But he frustrates the plans of the wicked. Feeding the hungry, opening the eyes of the blind, lifting heavy burdens from those who are weighed down in this life. That's what it looks like to do justice in the kingdom of God. It looks an awful lot like Jesus, if you didn't catch that. Lifting the heavy burdens, restoring people back to God. If you did a word study in the Old Testament, you would find that the Bible heavily relies on one Hebrew word for the word justice, and it's the Hebrew word mishpat. Mishpat, it's, it's used hundreds of times in the Old Testament, hundreds of times throughout the Bible, and there are a few different ways that mishpat is used in Scripture. It can mean retaliation. But the number of times it means retaliation is incredibly low. And by the way, that's like the toddler version of kingdom justice, right? We've seen it in all of our children. You've taken that toy from me, and so now I'm taking this toy from you. Retaliation type justice, the most infrequent way that mishpat is used in the Bible. It can also mean retribution. And quite frankly, I think for most of us, this is what we generally think when we think about the idea behind justice. You stole my money, and so now you've got to pay. Justice will be served one way or another. The victim will be compensated. The offender must be punished. And of course, when you study the Old Testament and you study Mishpat, that is used occasionally throughout the scriptures. And oftentimes, it's the appropriate response, right? It is the appropriate response at times, but most of the time, mishpat is used. Most of the time, you run across that word in Scripture, and the Hebrews use that word. It's not talking about retaliation or retribution at all. Most of the time, when mishpat is used in the Old Testament, it's talking about restoration. It's talking about restoration. The primary work of justice in the kingdom of God is about restoration. Not retribution, not retaliation, but it's all about restoration. Writer and theologian Dr. Paul Metzger said it this way, biblical justice involves making individuals, communities, and the cosmos whole by upholding both goodness and impartiality. So when it comes to justice in the Bible, when it comes to the Hebrew language and our growing understanding of justice in the kingdom of God, restoration is what it's talking about most of the time. Not only is it the most common reference in the Bible, but it's also the safest place to be. If you want to be a person who does justice, lean into restoration, not retribution, because quite frankly, we don't always get retribution done the right way, do we? I mean, our brokenness gets in the way. We never know the whole story. There's always a story behind the story behind the story. And when we begin to execute retribution in our own understanding, we fall glaringly short of the mark that God has. Restoration is the goal, but retribution, it is where we commonly end up in life, in leadership, even in silly examples, even in games, even in simulations. So I was, a couple years ago when I first moved to Fort Collins, I didn't know anybody. I didn't know uh, the city at all. I didn't know the history of Fort Collins. So one of the things I did to educate myself was I signed up for this leadership class run by the city called Leadership Fort Collins. 
I would recommend it to anyone. We spent nine months together. We spent one Thursday a month for nine months together. And what we did is we learned a lot about the city, and we learned a lot about uh, the municipalities and all the ways the city works together. Now, truth be told, the reason why I signed up for Leadership Fort Collins is because I wanted to meet 30 other leaders in Fort Collins, and I wanted to introduce them to the love of Jesus and invite them to our church while I learned about the city right? This was totally my goal. And so I would always go and I would always be praying for everyone and asking God what he was up to in their life and slowly building a relationship so that I could share with them the deepest part of my heart and the the person who's changed my entire life. And so I signed up. And one week during Leadership Fort Collins, when we were gathering, the United Way came to run Leadership Fort Collins that month. And when the United Way came, they did what's called a, a poverty simulation. And if you've ever sat in a poverty simulation, it's it's a pretty beautiful thing. It's a fascinating exercise where everyone would get a role to play and a short bio and some rules to live by. And the whole point was this, to teach you what it's like to live at or below the poverty line in the world around you and how challenging it is, how difficult it is to to take advantage of 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 the systems that are out there to help build people up and lift them up out of poverty. And I can tell you as someone who grew up hearing stories about a single mom scraping by in our childhood, that it was also done in a very honoring way. It was done in a very honoring way. So I sit down that day at Leadership Fort Collins and I flip over my card and I read my bio. And I read the the part that I'm supposed to play. And I'm telling you, United Way should have chosen these cards a little more carefully. They didn't know that if I go in, I go all in. And so I flip over my card, and the role they gave me was an angry teenager who was always in and out of trouble and would do anything he could to survive. Listen. The United Way, they did not know that I could be so bad. (laughs) I had years of practice in my life. Those of you who know my story, you know that I lived this way for a number of years. And so I knew exactly what to do. Every week was broken down into a 15-minute increment that symbolized a, a week in your life. And so week one started, and the first thing I did as I gathered all the other youth in the group, all the other youth who had that bio, and I started a gang anything to survive. And there was another character who was assigned a police officer. And so I buddied up with the police officer and I told the police officer, hey, I want to change my life and I want to do good on the streets of Fort Collins. And so what would be really helpful is if you would give me a weapon and an honorary badge, you'd make me a deputy on your police force. And they did. (laughs) They're thinking it's a pastor. We'll give it to him, right? So big mistake, big mistake. Because then I took my newfound authority and my newfound power and I started robbing all of the other stores. (laughs) And I stole from the families that I didn't like to give to the families that I did like. And it was a real Robin Hood moment. I was stealing from the rich and giving to the poor and everybody's life was getting a little bit better or so I thought. With my newfound power and my newfound authority, I started taking justice into my own hands. And after the simulation was over and we were processing everything, I realized that maybe I had gone a little too far when one of the women that I was trying to invite to our church and lead into a personal relationship with Jesus, she goes, well, I knew something was glaringly wrong when Pastor Jeff, and she said it just like that, when Pastor Jeff held me up at gunpoint and stole all my money. (laughs) 
I'm not particularly proud of who I became in that moment, but I did whatever I needed to do to survive, and I apologized to the banker. I apologized to everyone in the room. I re-invited them to the vineyard and told them that we would be much more hospitable here. But my, my main point, my main point after apologizing and inviting them back, and my, pain, my, my, my main point was this. When humans take justice in their own hands, they always fail. When humans take justice into their own hands, they always fail. And it turns out our textbooks are filled with stories like this. When the oppressor gets enough power to start oppressing, they almost always do. Because we make, we make vows, right? We, we make internal decisions like, well, I was beat down that one time and I'm never going back there again. I'll do whatever it takes that I don't end up in that position again. And all of a sudden, folks who have been oppressed can very easily become the oppressor because we have a warped view, a tainted view, a broken view of this life with God and this life in the world around us. We're all a bit broken. We're all in desperate need of a Savior. And it's easy for the oppressed to become the oppressor once we achieve a level of power or authority or success. See, to truly understand Mishpat, we have, to, we have to go to the scriptures. We have to go to the, the Christian worldview. We have to ask God how he defines justice because our definition will always fall short. We have to understand that the primary calling of kingdom justice is restoration, not retribution. And since that's the primary understanding of justice then it means for everyone in this room and everyone tuning on online that if you call yourself a follower of Christ, you are now called to be an agent of restoration. As a follower of Christ, you are called to be an agent of restoration. That's part of your calling. And of course, this begs the question. It begs the question, who are we restoring and what are we restoring them to? To what end? What's the goal? What's the ideal. I introduced this topic last week at Easter, but it's pretty simple. Genesis 1, from the very first pages of Scripture, says that humans were created in the image of God. Humans were created in the image of God. God created you for good, and he created you in his image, and that's where we need to be headed. The theological term for this, by the way, is imago Dei. Imago Dei, it's a Latin phrase for image bearer of God. That's what it means. Every human Male, female, black, brown, white, old, young, rich, poor, everyone in between, every single person that you meet is created in the image of God. It doesn't mean that their lifestyle is necessarily created in the image of God. It might not be. But it turns out, isn't it true? It turns out that you don't always make the best decisions when you're hurting. It doesn't mean that they're not created in the image of God. Of course they are. Your job as a follower of Christ is to see everyone that you encounter as an image bearer of God. It's for you to see yourself as a reflection of God's image as well. And then anytime, anytime that you help restore someone's image to their original design, biblically, biblically, you are being a part of the work of justice in the world around us. We're supposed to be like mirrors to the world around us. Every Christian is given a mirror by God, and it's your job to reflect to everyone that you meet that they're created in God's image, that there may be pain, there may be dysfunction, there may be hurt, there may be turmoil, 
But that doesn't have to define who they are. In fact, they're created in the image of God. And it's our responsibility as followers of Christ to reflect that image to the world around us. Andy Crouch, who is an author that I'm really beginning to love, he talks about a prayerful exercise that he will commonly do when he's in public places. It's a prayerful exercise. that He wrote about it in one of his books, actually, um, when he was in the airport, I believe in Chicago, and his flight had been delayed like two or three times. He was looking at a four to six hour delay. And instead of being really cranky, like I think most of us, at least myself, would be, he decided to turn it into a spiritual exercise. And so he walked the entire airport. He walked the entire airport, up and down every gate that he could. And every single person that he walked by, he said this quiet prayer to himself. They're created in the image of God as he walked past them. They're created in the image of God. They're created in the image of God. He did this for hours. He saw happy people and he saw angry people and he would pray to himself, we're created in the image of God. People who looked like him and people who looked very different than him and he said created in the image of God. People who acted like they had a lot of money, people who perhaps didn't have very much money at all and he said created in the image of God. People reading their Bible and looking like maybe they share the faith, people who looked like they were far from God or, or had a very different faith. And he walked past them and he prayed to himself, they're created in the image of God. Every person you meet is created in the image of God. Everyone you meet is created in the image of God. Sometimes it's hard to see God's image in them. Sometimes the pain and the brokenness of our world complicates our ability to see the image of God in every person, but deep down, that's exactly who they are. And again, it's our job to hold up a mirror to them and remind them who they were created to be. This is what we do for people. But I love, what I love about kingdom justice is that it's not just about people, right? It's also about all of creation, it's about all of creation. Evil has damaged it all, and God is in the business of restoring all things. If you look at Isaiah 2 with me, this is a beautiful promise on the justice of God. Isaiah 2 verse 4, it says, The Lord will mediate between nations and nations, and they will settle international disputes. They will hammer their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will no longer fight against nation nor train for war anymore. Isaiah 2 4. In the kingdom of God, justice will restore entire nations and entire people groups, governments and empires. Swords will be turned into plowshares. If you didn't catch it, that basically means soldiers will become farmers because there'll be no more need because we'll be living at peace. Chapter 11 says the justice of God even impacts creation. It says the wolf and the lamb will live together. The cow and the bear will graze together. Even babies will gab cobras. No one will harm anyone because it's all about restoration. It's all about restoring God's image bearers and all of God's creation back to its original design. That's what it's all about. I'm going to close with a final thought because I can tell we're all very excited for baptisms. <laughs> Some of us need to do exactly what Andy wrote about. We need to train ourselves to see everyone that we meet as Imago Dei, image bearers of God. That's what we need to train ourselves to see. Some of us need to ask God how we can be a part of restoration in the broken systems around us. Those are things that we're going to talk about in the coming weeks. But I can promise you this morning, I can promise you this morning that no exercise will matter unless all of us pay attention to, to how God chose to interact with injustice in the first place. 
What did God do? What was his plan for restoration? When God saw all the injustice, when God looked down and saw how evil had damaged all of creation, his ultimate response was to send Jesus Christ. The justice of God is seen perfectly in the death and resurrection of Jesus. Christ came to take away the sin of the world and to take your sin upon himself. He took all the evil, all the pain, all the brokenness, and all the injustice in the entire world for all of humanity, and he nailed it to the cross. The sacrifice of Christ allows us to be restored to God forever in the most powerful way. I mean, you might be surrounded right now by injustice. You might be feeling all of the effects of an unjust world, but it doesn't have to stay that way. You can be restored to the image of God. You can be restored to everything that he had created you for. Your relationship with God can be restored forever. And it starts with trusting in Jesus, giving him your life, and admitting that in your own strength and in your own power, you can't restore yourself, that you need a Savior. In a moment, we're going to witness 18 or more baptisms that happen right here from people who have made a decision, a personal decision to follow Christ. And baptism represents our newfound salvation. But listen, it's also an act of justice. Baptism is also an act of justice because we're declaring before God and the entire church that although evil has impacted our hearts, it doesn't have the final word in our life. We've been restored and we are continually being restored. Jesus Christ died to set you free. The weight of sin is now lifted off your shoulders and you can be restored as a son or daughter in the family of God. The justice of God was demonstrated perfectly through the power of the cross. And when Jesus Christ was crucified, he uttered three beautiful words. It is finished. It is finished. He took on sin so that everything could be restored, and that includes you. It includes you for eternity. God chose to respond to the injustice in the world by sending his only begotten son to die on the cross, be buried in the tomb, raised back to life, and I am so thankful for his love. Let's pray.